Let me just say thank you to the worship team. I think the the sound guys, Travis and Dan and the entire team who comes, do you realize that they actually, their day begins at seven o'clock in the morning. They are here to make sure that everything is, is set up. Special thank you to our deacons who take care of us. Let's give them a round of applause and just thank them for their great hard work and their investment. And most of all, they're serving the Lord. <clears throat> I know that when it's a little hot and sunny outside, there's got to be this thought, like, how long is he going to preach today? You know, I was thinking about that. I do have a tendency to get excited and just kind of check out the length of the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, that was not preached in an air-conditioned sanctuary either, okay? So if you ever think, um, he's going a little long, spend some time in the early chapters of Matthew, and you'll see what a long sermon is. We are in need of prayer not just as a church, but as a community, as a country, and around the world. As we pause in the beauty of God's creation, we pause on the Lord's day, a day that is set apart from every other day. We pause with the word of God open before us. We are gathered as his own children. We have so much to give thanks for, but there's also so much that we need in his strength and endurance that can only come from him. I do want to tell you that I commend you for your faithfulness, for coming every single Sunday. I commend you for being good listeners. Although you don't sit in the front rows, I've noticed that you like the back rows. I still commend you for your faithfulness because this is an important time of our week. I would argue to say this is the most important time of our week. Our strength does not come from us, does not come from one another. It comes first and foremost from the Lord. Would you bow your heads and pray with me as we ask for help as we listen and learn from the Word of God this morning? Would you pray with me? Father, we love you. We are amazed at who you are. We pause today in the beauty of your creation to express our heartfelt gratitude. Your mercies that are new every day, your grace that is beyond explanation and understanding, your love that never fails and never ends. Father, we do come as a body of believers. We come bowed in your presence asking for strength and guidance for wisdom as we seek to minister as lights in a very dark world. Father, we need your help. I need your help this morning. Please, I plead with you that you would allow my, my words to exalt the name of Jesus and glorify you first and foremost. May, may our hearts this morning be soil that is softened and ready to receive the seed of your word so that in your miraculous understanding and way, you produce fruit, good fruit, needed fruit. Bless us now. We ask this in the amazing name of Jesus. Amen and amen. <clears throat> I love to play the game of golf, and I am really bad at it, but I still love it. And, and there's something that happens that there's this, this decorum that should exist on the golf course, an etiquette. It's kind of an unwritten rule that when someone hits a really, really bad shot, 
you never, ever, ever say, that was a really bad shot. And the reason is why? Because everybody knows you just hit a bad shot. There's something in golf called a mulligan. It's just like a do-over. Like, that was really bad. I'm just going to, I'm going to get a do-over. We're not going to count that. I have heard that the year 2020, we need a do-over. We need a mulligan on this. The problem is what? We don't get a mulligan in life. We have before us a year, a season like no other. It's hard to describe. It's, it's hard to describe to us, but it's certainly not hard to describe to God. It's, it's so bad that, in a sense, I'm not going to spend time describing how rough and tough it has been over these past several months. And what's interesting is that all of the difficult things that we have heard and seen and faced, it has been sifted to our ears and our eyes through, through people that have reported and dispensed information in a way that I think is so negative and it's so attacking and it's so ugly and it's so critical that what I think has actually happened is that some of the belief systems of the world is actually seeping in, it's actually creeping into the thinking of the church. Some of the ideas that the world has, we hear it so much. I think you and I are starting to buy into some of it. So much so that we actually begin to say, like, who, like, who are we anyway? Why, why are we here? What are we supposed to be doing with this life, with this mess that we are in? That's the reason for this new series. As a kid, we would go to the beach, and we loved to swim and to surf. And if you've ever spent any time swimming in the ocean, you know that you'll get hit by a wave and you'll get knocked over. As you, as you get back up again, you get hit by another wave. And, and it's very easy to kind of get caught up and churning in the waves. My, my dad always taught me that when you're under the water and you're just kind of turning and you're being knocked and tossed, he said, just pause, just wait, don't do anything, just hold your breath. In just a few seconds, you're going to feel sand down there. And when you feel sand down there, you know where the air is. You know where you have to go. Same idea applies. We need truth more than ever before. We need to know the truth more than ever before. The, the letter that is before us, 2 Corinthians obviously is the second letter after 1 Corinthians that the Apostle Paul wrote both of them to a church in Corinth, a very cosmopolitan, a very prominent Greek city. It housed the temple of Apollo. There had been significant problems in this particular church. Sin had crept in. So Paul writes a strong letter calling the body of Christ to oneness, to unity. He speaks about spiritual gifts. He speaks about the importance and prominence of, of love. He directs people's attention to the resurrection and to seek first the kingdom of God. As a result of the first letter, a lot of people in that church repented. They changed their, their direction in life. 
but there was still a few. There was still what? A, a vocal minority, a troublesome minority that refused to listen. That's why Paul writes this second letter, and there are strong tones. <clears throat> Excuse me, there's warnings of judgment if they did not change. And, and throughout all the book of 2 Corinthians, we're going to spend some time in over the summer, there's this overarching theme that is very appropriate for you and I today, regardless of how tough it is, regardless of how hard it is, regardless of how much suffering, there is a promised power of the Holy Spirit that you have within you, that when we are faithful in our message and in our ministry, then God will bless. Let me direct your attention to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I want to read our text at six verses, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case... The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God said, let light shine out of darkness. Let light shine out of darkness. Has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> the very first word, <clears throat> excuse me, is the word therefore. <clears throat> the word therefore literally translates for this cause. It's a connector. It always takes us back to what is the previous thought, what is the previous statement? Previous statement in chapter 3, verses 12 through 18, says that we have a hope. We get up every morning with a hope. A hope is a confident expectation in the ministry that God has called us to because of the pouring out of his spirit that literally changes lives. We have this hope, therefore... And I love how he begins, he begins to encourage us with these words, having this ministry by the mercy of God. It's very easy for us to think that the ministry that God has called us to right here in Lock Haven, Pennsylvania, at Big Woods Bible Church, is, is troublesome, is burdensome, is difficult, it's toil. It's easy to think that. But what he does, he says, actually, this is, mercy that we have this the the definition of the word mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it's within one's power to punish us or harm us god actually has the what the authority and the right to punish us but instead he offers us mercy and he says i'm going to give you big woods i'm going to give you an opportunity to have a little tiny piece and parts of the work that I am doing. This ministry that God has called us to is a gift 
See it as a gift. Receive it. We love getting gifts. He's gifted us with this very moment. But we know this moment is tough. Later, that ministry is described in verse 5 as proclaiming. In verse 6, it describes the ministry that we are to be shining. Yeah, but, but Pastor Tim, you don't know how difficult, how dark, how tough it really is. Certainly, as hard as it is, it has not been the hardest that it's ever been. Go to our brothers and sisters in Christ in the first century. I don't think we quite have it as hard as they did. Go to our brothers and sisters that suffered for the faith during the period of the Reformation. As hard as it is for us, we do not have it as hard as some other Christians in other cultures in, in the world right now who are suffering or being persecuted for their faith. As hard as it is, it's not as difficult as it has been or, or as, as it could be. Now, I will agree with you that in all honesty, in 25 plus years of pastoral ministry, I think personally, this is the hardest it's ever been for us. That's why we have to give attention to this. We know that the enemy, what, is at work. We know that Satan has been having a heyday. But you can be assured he is not, what, working apart from God's reach. Satan is not working. The enemy is not working apart from God's reign. Remember Job, where God, in a sense, allowed the enemy in his sovereign providence to have Job go through horrific horror in the circumstances that he faced. Likewise, we know that today the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. And it is evident through the selfishness that exists in our world today. It's evident in the intolerance and the bigotry and the racism and the greed. What do we do in that? Three things very quickly. The first one is this. We do not lose heart. Having this ministry by the mercy of God, it's a gift, we do not lose heart. As we face challenges in ministry, what are they? Well, we, we exist to build relationships so that God is glorified. Have you ever tried to build a relationship with someone that must remain six feet away and you're having a conversation that is muffled through a mask? That's kind of hard to do. Paying for a building that theoretically we can't really worship in because of what's happening around us. It's pretty easy to feel discouraged. I was in a meeting recently, and everyone was social distance, and we're shouting at one another. How difficult, how frustrating is that? And yet we do not get discouraged. We do not give up. We do not grow disheartened. The reason Paul is writing these words is because he, too, was facing discouragement in the fact that he was actually coming under attack. People were attacking the credibility, the personal credibility of the apostle Paul. And we can see how difficult that would be, how easy it would be to be discouraged or disgruntled or dissatisfied when people are attacking us. In many ways, that is exactly what's happening today, that the church of Jesus Christ and the gospel itself is under attack 
probably like never before. We stand upon a message that begins with what? All have sinned. We stand upon a message that says what? You need to deny yourself. We stand upon a message that says so what? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me tell you that all of those verses, that truth runs counter to everything that we hear in our world today. Tim Keller founded Redeemer Presbyterian Church. He writes for Gospel Coalition. He says this, and I quote, In many places, culture is becoming increasingly hostile toward faith. Beliefs in God, truth, sin, and the afterlife are disappearing in more and more people. Now culture is producing people for, for whom Christianity is not only offensive, but incomprehensible. That the message that we proclaim is so difficult, not only are people offended by it, they can't even comprehend it. That's how crazy you are in your belief system. That makes for what? That makes for pretty hard soil for us to plant seed in. To begin with, I must ask this question, and please, I do not want to be flippant. I do not want to be disrespectful. When we think of the world that we live in, I don't want to be unloving or insensitive in any way. But who has ever told us, where have we ever heard that the ministry of the gospel was going to be easy? Where have we ever heard that? As a matter of fact, when Jesus Christ was sending his disciples out in Matthew chapter 10, he says this, and I quote, I'm sending you out as sheep amongst the wolves. Now, I have seen a sheep before, and I have seen a wolf before, but I have never seen them interact. However, I do feel somewhat like I'm an expert in this subject because I've watched Nat Geo. And I've seen it happen. Let me tell you this, it is not a pretty picture. As a matter of fact, it is a bloody mess. Why? Because sheep don't do much attacking. Sheep, that's you and I. Sheep are used, what, for other people to eat. Sheep are used, what, their wool to make other people, what, clothed and comfortable. Sheep were used, what, in the Old Testament as sacrifices to assist people spiritually, to atone for their own sins. What, what exactly do sheep do when it comes to being attacked? Remember this. Sheep stay together and they trust the shepherd. That's what sheep do. That's all that sheep do. We stay together and we trust the shepherd. Two weeks ago, this coming Thursday, it was July the 9th. Six-year-old Bridger Walker, six years old, a little boy, was playing outside with his younger sister. They live in Cheyenne, Wyoming. 
when, when a dog attacked Bridger's little sister. Six years old, Bridger stepped in front of his sister, and as the dog lunged, he was bitten in the face, literally opening up his left cheek. He needed more than 90 stitches to be sewn back together again. Six years old, and this is what he said, and I quote Bridger Walker, if someone had to die, I thought it should be me. If someone has to die, I thought it should be me. That is the definition of courage, six years old. Do you realize that that is exactly what Jesus said? If someone has to die, then let it be me. Do you realize that as followers of Jesus, we are to live with exactly the same thinking, exactly the same understanding? Why? We are literally surrounded every day by people who are blinded. We are surrounded every day by people that are dying and going to hell. And I hear more Christians fussing about the fact that they don't want to wear a mask today. People are dying and going to hell, and we're concerned about who's going to win an election. People are dying and going to hell, and we're disappointed because we can't go to a football game. You are light in the midst of darkness. We are to step in, in the midst of what? A fierce spiritual warfare, now more than ever before. Now, we don't go into battle alone. Galatians 6, what? Says we get duded up. You get armored up. There's the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shield of faith. You, 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 you shod your, shod, that's a great King James word. You shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel. You know what I find is that even as we think about that wonderful analogy of dressing up in the armor of God, we hear more conversation about the helmet of salvation. I wonder if that's a shiny helmet or whether or not it's like a matte black helmet. The belt of truth. Was there a big buckle on that belt or not? No, 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 no. Let's remove just for a moment the, the articles of clothing. Let's just think about what we go into this battle with. Salvation, righteousness, truth, faith, gospel. Yet what? I have heard more and I have read more People today, literally people today, spewing garbage about their own personal rights. I have the First Amendment. I have the right to, I have the Second Amendment. My life, my health, my education, my voice. I've heard more about that than I have heard about the lost souls of mankind. Where is your hope today? In a government? In a country? Where's your hope today? In a person? I love this country. My grandfather was killed when my dad was two years old in World War II. 
My uncle, my, my mom did not grow up with a big brother because what my uncle was killed in the Korean conflict. My cousin was killed in Afghanistan. I love this country and people have died for America, but Jesus has died for you. Remember that. I read this week Ed Stetz was preaching in the idea of a church living and ministering in an age of outrage. And he said, and I quote, Jesus is coming back and he's not riding on Air Force One. He's not going to be riding on a donkey or an elephant. People, don't be surprised by this. Don't be shocked by this. When has the world ever acted righteous? When has the enemy ever played fair? That's why we do not lose heart. That's why we do not lose hope. That's why we do not lose focus. Number two, we refuse to tamper with the truth. The Apostle Paul uses this phrase that we refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word. I believe one of the greatest dangers that we are facing today, one of the greatest dangers for the church of Jesus Christ today in ministry, that now more than ever before, people feel that they need to water down the full weight and truth of the gospel of Jesus and somehow massage and manipulate the message with a slyness to it, with tactics to trick people into a more palpable message. A spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. So let's try to sweeten the deal just a little bit. We know that prosperity gospel is wrong. Okay, not everyone's gonna end up with a mansion and a swimming pool. We, we know that. But let's, let's try prosperity gospel light. That you deserve to be happy and you deserve to be blessed and you deserve to be comfortable and life should be easy for you because you follow Jesus. Let's, let's toy with the message. Let's preach low commitment. You just show up whenever you want. Let's just give a little bit whenever you have nothing else left for you that you need, so let's give a little, let's just preach low commitments. Let's preach no repentance. We live what? Under grace. And so you basically do whatever you want. You continue on the same track. God will forgive you. God loves you. No, we're not universalists. Let, let's preach inclusiveness, that Jesus is one of many ways, as opposed to an exclusive message, that Jesus is not one of many ways. Jesus is the way. Thankfully, thankfully, Paul testifies that some may try, but we have renounced disgraceful. That's a perfect word. We have renounced. That means we have rejected disgraceful understanding underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of truth. The one thing I love about preaching outside is that people who go, who don't go to this church have told me that they heard the message. That there's an openness to what? To what we are preaching. So that we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. What exactly does that mean? 
It means that by steadfast adherence to the truths of the gospel will commend people or uprightness will preserve a man's reputation and opinion of good and wise men. So what we need to do is finding a church, and we will be that church that upholds First and foremost, the authority of Scripture more than anything else, regardless of what people say, it's antiquated, it's out of date. Really? No, we hold to a high view of Scripture, and we will continue to do that. We hold to the sovereignty of God. The God is not, what, wondering, oh my goodness, this whole corona thing is getting out of hand. No, no, no. God is completely sovereign today, tomorrow, and always. We'll hold to what? Doctrine that defines creation as a miraculous act of God, everything out of nothing through a spoken word. We're going to hold to original sin since the fall of mankind. We're going to hold to necessary atonements. We're going to preach the full doctrine of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We're going to preach and hold to the deity of Christ, the virgin birth, a literal death, a literal resurrection, salvation by grace through faith. We're going to preach the doctrine of justification that God, God declares us righteous through the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to preach and hold to the fact that we live different than other people. We seek holiness. We don't talk like others. We don't live like others. We're concerned about holy living, to be holy as God is holy. We're going to preach that marriage is exclusively between a man and a woman, between a husband and wife. We're going to preach that children are to be in submission to their parents. Kids don't run the home. You cannot, you cannot wear these truths down. Deuteronomy chapter 4 says, You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it. The, the very, almost, almost the very final words in all of Scripture. Revelation chapter 22, verse 19. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life in the holy city, which are described in this book. We do not lose heart, and we refuse to tamper with the truth. Thirdly and finally, we proclaim Jesus Christ. For what we proclaim, it says in verse 5, is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants. So think about this. As we proclaim Christ, it implies that what? We do not proclaim, we do not promote another agenda. We do not promote another message. We promote and proclaim Jesus Christ. We do not live to promote an organization. We proclaim Jesus. We, we do not promote a party. We promote Jesus. We don't promote a platform. We, we proclaim Jesus. We don't even promote ourselves. We proclaim Jesus. Yes, we certainly can and should pursue what? Justice and mercy 
as long as it's what? It's through a biblical worldview. It's through the lens of the gospel. It's through the life of Christ. Paul says, for me to live is Christ. It's interesting that we're in 2 Corinthians. If you go to 1 Corinthians, the very first letter, the very first chapter, one of the first things that Paul says is this, we preach Christ crucified. And he says this, it's folly or it's foolishness to the world. But to those who are called Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So as we proclaim Christ, let me tell you this, we face huge challenges. I think one of the greatest challenges that we face is the hurdle of what I call individualism. I don't know if I've ever witnessed such a time where there needs to be what? Such a self-identifying, a, a self-proclamation, a, a celebration of self, a centeredness of self. I don't know if I've ever witnessed the emphasis on the individual so strong before that we identify what? Well, I'm, I'm an American or I'm white, or I'm black, or I'm brown. And we lead with that. Or what? I'm none of those things. I self-identify. I want to be whatever I want to be. Doesn't God speak to us? Doesn't God speak to that very truth that says that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female? You are all one in Jesus Christ. That's what we have to hold on to. It's dangerous to have your identity in anything other than in, in Christ. It's dangerous to have your identity in anything than in Jesus Christ. Jewish American Yuval Levin, he is a journalist, sociologist. He wrote The Fractured Republic. And he describes what is referred to as expressive individualism. A desire to pursue one's own path and a yearning for fulfillment through the definition and articulation of one's own identity. It is a drive both to be more like whatever you already are and also to live in a society full asserting who you are. The capacity of liberty and with the meaning of some of our basic rights and it's given pride of place in our own self-understanding. All of this says that what? Be true to yourself. Be you. Be you. No one else can ever change that. That message runs counter to the truth of the gospel. Whenever you hear... You be whoever you want to be. That runs counter to the truth of the gospel. Trevin Wax said this in response, expressive individual opposes a challenge for the church. Because God's word challenges the me with the us and then sets the us under God. He says the human tendency is for us to look upward Excuse me, the human tendency is for us to look inward, and God's word says to look upward. Our tendency is what? Within. 
And the whole gospel says, no, 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 don't look within. Don't look inside. Look up. As the local church of Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ, those who've been rescued and redeemed, we have a very clear calling, a very clear job to do, and we do not attack. Put away the, the social media attacks and the criticism. Just turn it off. We do not ridicule. We do not criticize. We do not malign. We share the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we do. We literally speak of God's love and God's grace and God's forgiveness. Think of the message that we have been given. God in all of his holiness and us in all of our sinfulness. And great problem, brokenness, dysfunction, and disease that separates the two. And there is one who saw you who stepped in and said, if anybody has to die, let it be me, that Jesus Christ himself suffered so that you can be saved. We have the good news of the gospel, hope for the hopeless, healing for the broken. How does this text conclude? In verse 6, for God who said, let light shine in darkness has shone in our hearts. To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. As soon as I read that the very first time, I thought about, I grew up singing. Many of you grew up singing what? This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Don't let Satan it out. Right? We've, we've heard that. It's based on Jesus' teaching. In Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, the sermon that was a lot longer than the one I'm preaching right now. And Jesus said what? No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. What do we leave with this morning? What do we do? Number one, we have to confess that we have covered our light with a bushel and with a basket of discouragement. This is just too dark out there for us. Christians have been living in discouragement. We have to confess that Christians have taken their own light and covered it with a basket of doubt. Yeah, this whole thing, I, I, don't, I don't know if God really knows what's going on. This is out of control. Christians have, have taken the light and have covered it with a basket of fear. We're all going to die. I know people, Christians, that say, I can't leave my house and have not left their house for fear they might catch a disease. We've taken the light and we've covered it with a basket of what? Selfishness. I'm fine. Our family's good. What is that? That's not light and darkness. We've taken the light that God has put within us. We've covered it with a basket, with a bushel of anger or bitterness. And it's easy to be angry. Just let them all fight it out amongst themselves. Let them all burn. We need to confess that. Lord, forgive us. Forgive me. I've struggled with anger. I've struggled 
with wondering if God really, really, really aware as to everything. Secondly, we need to proclaim with word. And we need to show with action what it means to be light in darkness. That, that means we're, we're going to have to speak into this. We have to be ready always to give an answer. The person that says, why do you have hope? Let me tell you why I have hope. We have to proclaim it with word. Show it with action. Thirdly, we have to know, and I understand that you are well aware, this is going to be hard. You've, you've got to be ready for this. This is not easy. But let me remind you this. As hard as this is going to be, this is not, let me, let me make it very clear, this is not a let go and let God moment. This is not a just, just let back, whoo, God, you got this. On Friday, we lost a great hero of the faith, J.I. Packer, 94 years old, and he died. He wrote one of the most impactful books that's used knowing God. What's interesting about Packer is that he retired in 2016 from teaching. Do the math. He retired when he was 90 years old. The only reason is because he was going blind and he couldn't see. J.I. Packer said the Christian's motto should not be let go and let God, but trust God and get going. And I love that. J.I. Packer says what? The Christian's motto should not be just let go and let God, but trust God and get going. That, that aligns with what Scripture says. Prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. People, see the hope. See the blessing. See right now, as crazy as it is, as an amazing opportunity for Almighty God in His perfect sovereignty who has called you. So you and I remember what we have this ministry by the mercy of God, and we do not lose hearts. You know why we don't lose hearts? It's because we have an incredible, incredible message of the gospel. It is it is. Normal for us as Big Woods, the third Sunday of each month, to remember why we have a hope. And that is because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Now let me back up a little bit that right before Jesus was betrayed, before he was arrested, before he was tried, before he was crucified, he was meeting with his followers in the upper room, the disciples of Jesus. And they were, they were eating a meal together. And, and because Jesus, what, as God created us, God spoke life into us. We, we bear his image. That God knew that we remember things that when we hold it, when we smell it, when we taste it. And that's why he implemented for us the communion table. The Eucharist. And there's, there's a picture that is, that is given here through the teaching of Jesus so that we remember what we have hope in. And, and in explanation to his disciples, he took some bread. And as a visual 
almost as an object lesson. I don't want to reduce it to that, but in many ways, that's what it was, so that they could see. He took some bread and he showed it to the disciples and he broke it in front of them. And as he broke it, he said, this is what's going to happen to me. My body is going to be broken. Literally within hours, exactly what happened. Then Jesus, he said something kind of different to them. That again, many in this world would look at as foolishness. He said, this is my body, and what I want you to do, I want you to take a piece, and I want you to eat it. And as you taste this, as you ingest this, keep this as a reminder of what Jesus Christ has done for you. We're instructed that, that what we regularly do this. We never forget. In a sense, one of the definitions of what, what defines local church is that we gather together, we worship, we sing, we listen to the preaching of the word of God, and we remember the communion table. It's that important. And after he, he ate the bread, it says... He took the, the fruit of the vine. He took wine. And, and as he poured it out, he said, this is a picture of my blood. And again, he said what the world would say is absolute foolishness. He said, I want you to drink this. Because as you drink this, you will remember that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. Apart from the body Jesus that was broken. And apart from the blood of Jesus that was poured out to atone and pay the price for my sins, and there are many of them, and your sins. Apart from this, apart from what Jesus did, we might as well, what, close up shop, go home, and let the world have its way. But that's not what happened. We know that we have an incredible hope that there is atonement and forgiveness in what Jesus Christ offered to us. So what we're going to do as a church is we're going to remember this. Um, on the table in baskets, you should have received a, um, a little cup with a wafer in it. If you did not get one of those, I'd encourage you to get up and, and get one. You should have that. And we're going to, as a church family, eat this and drink this together. Let me remind you that if you have not acknowledged the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, then I'm going to very politely ask you, please refrain from taking this because it would be meaningless to you. But I think one of the powerful reminders of the community table is that we can today, this very day, remember what Jesus Christ has done. And that today, if you are sitting here this morning, and you're like, I'm not quite sure what he's talking about. I, I know I've done some things wrong, but what do I do with that? Because you've done some things wrong, because you have sinned from the what, very earliest days of your life, you and I deserve eternal separation. But if you acknowledge the fact that, yes, I'm a sinner, but Jesus Christ died for my sin to pay the price for, for what I really couldn't even pay for, then this moment, I would say, you can receive the salvation that is offered to you by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would encourage you to do that. Now remember, it's not what, I eat this and I believe this and I say this prayer and I'm good to go. No, no, we live every day knowing that he is Lord. It's not about you. That we live to proclaim Christ.
I'm going to ask that as we prepare to receive this, that you would just bow your heads with me and take a moment to thank the Lord for what he has done for us, for the gift that was given on our behalf. If it's a season to confess, then do that. And we will ask God's blessing on the bread and on the cup. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for this moment, for this day. Lord, I, I know at some level it's difficult truth to hear. But we thank you, Lord, that we can receive this truth not with discouragement, but with hope. And we live every day with hope because of Jesus. We thank you for this visual reminder that we have of the bread and the cup. Tell us of what Jesus suffered on our behalf, his body broken, his blood poured out. Father, as we partake of this as your children, may we partake with grateful, grateful hearts. But also may you, in the power of your spirit, strengthen us and encourage us to live set apart, to not get pulled into the fray of the ugliness that's happening around us, but we would live as lights shining in darkness. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for your grace and your love. Bless this bread and bless this cup. We ask this in the amazing and wonderful, matchless name of Jesus. Amen and amen. It's actually the church of Corinth again that Paul is writing in the first letter. They were not observing the Lord's table correctly. And so he taught them the correct way. That's what we want to do. Quotes the Lord Jesus and he says that the Lord Jesus in the very night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said this, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this, eat this in remembrance of me. It says, in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread, as often as you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And oh, how we look forward to when he comes again. May the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and give you hope. Matt, why don't you come with the rest and close us.